Hello everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Few studies have examined the association between clinically measured disease severity markers and quality of life in patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. However, a new study published in the journal CHEST examined this association by analyzing data from the U.S.-based Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis Prospective Outcomes Registry. Today I'm speaking with the lead author of the study, Dr. Emily O'Brien, who is an assistant professor in population health sciences at Duke University School of Medicine and an epidemiologist and health science researcher at Duke Clinical Research Institute at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. O'Brien. Let's dive into your study. Sure, happy to. So um, we know that IPF is a progressive and ultimately fatal disease and also are beginning to understand that it's associated with pretty significant impairments in quality of life and these unfortunately worsen as the disease progresses. One area where um, we have actually very little data is around the association between objective disease severity metrics and patient-reported well-being. So we were interested in investigating this using data from the IPF Pro Registry. So this is a national U.S.-based registry conducted at over 40 sites. It's coordinated by the Duke Clinical Research Institute and funded by Beringer Ingelheim. And it includes people who have IPF that was either diagnosed or confirmed at the enrolling center within the past six months. So um, we wanted to establish a, a sort of common baseline, a recent diagnosis or confirmation of diagnosis um, as a starting point for the, the longitudinal data capture. So for this study specifically, we were interested in the association between objective disease severity metrics and patient-reported outcomes at baseline only, so it's a cross-sectional analysis. Um, and we looked at these data in 829 patients with complete information on these measures. And when I say objective disease severity metrics, the ones that we, that we focused on in this study were several that are commonly used in clinical practice, including forced vital capacity, DLCO, and the use of supplemental oxygen at rest or with activity. And we also looked at two composite scoring systems that have that there's been increasing interest around and that have been previously used to estimate mortality risk in IPF. And these included the composite physiologic index, or CPI, and the gender, age, lung physiology index, or the GAP index. And then we were fortunate in this project to have some pretty robust data on quality of life collected at baseline. And these measures fell into two sort of general buckets, the first being generic quality of life measures, which included the EQ5D index and visual analog scale, as well as the short form 12 or the SF12, and we collected both the physical component score and the mental component score. So those are our generic sort of more broad quality of life measures. And then we also had two respiratory-specific measures, um, so those used to assess quality of life in COPD and IPF and, and other respiratory conditions. Those included the St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire, or SGRQ, and then the cough impact and cough symptom domains of the cough and sputum assessment questionnaire, or the COSAQ. So we had some pretty rich, detailed data, both on um, general quality of life as well as respiratory-specific quality of life measures. Perfect. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about your findings now. Which objective measures of disease severity affected quality of life in patients with IPF? Yeah, so we really had four main findings for our study. The first one, unsurprisingly to people who are familiar with this patient population, um, was that the IPF patients in our cohort showed significant impairments on several of the quality of life measures that we captured, including the physical component scale, the SF12, the SGRQ, and the COSAQ cough symptoms domain score. But interestingly, we saw pretty minimal impairment in the EQ5D measures and the mental component of the SF12. Our second main finding was that the correlations between most of these quality of life metrics were modest, and that the strongest associations were observed for SGRQ total score and the physical component score of SF12. Um, we were also interested in looking at the correlation between our two objective composite metrics of disease severity, GAP stage and CPI. We found that these were modestly correlated, but we actually still saw a pretty high proportion of patients who were in higher CPI quintiles and lower GAP stages, suggesting that the objective measure that someone may use to identify uh, disease severity in this population, um, that, that depending on which, which one is chosen and which one is measured, the person sort of investigating this might get a different picture of how severe the patient is, depending on whether they're using CPI or GAP. And then finally, in our multivariable regression models, we found that as disease severity increased, as, as we expected, we saw worse quality of life as measured by the SGRQ, and the strongest associations were for oxygen use at rest and with activity. So we still saw associations between worsening objective disease severity as measured by FCC and DLCO, but found very strong associations for supplemental oxygen use at rest and with activity. Great. So taken together, how might these findings inform clinical practice and impact how IPF might be managed in the future? Yeah, so first, um, there's been increasing interest, thankfully, in the use of validated patient-reported outcome scales to monitor disease progression with increased focus on the patient perspective on disease progression and, and incorporating patient values and preferences into clinical practice decisions, which is a good thing. But what we saw in, in our, our project was that some of the more general scales of quality of life in this population don't seem to be as sensitive to the true quality of life burden imposed by the disease. So even as we see this increasing attention to quality of life measurement and practice and getting good, really good robust data on um, how patients are doing, the type of scale that is used matters and the respiratory-specific scales seem to provide a bit more information about the daily burden of symptoms that comes with IPS. So this is at least some preliminary evidence that capture of those respiratory-specific quality of life scales might provide a more robust and, and sort of detailed picture of uh, patient function with this, this condition. As I mentioned, several of our objective measures showed strong associations with impaired quality of life. So thinking about the potential impact of things like FCC, DLCO decline, supplemental oxygen use, when they're seen in practice on how a patient feels and functions can really help providers to identify patients who might benefit from some additional support and resources that might optimize quality of life and help them with management of this chronic condition. 
In your opinion, what knowledge gaps still exist regarding managing IPF? So with respect to quality of life, quality of life and patient well-being are outcomes that have been understudied in IPF clinical trials. And unfortunately, there are very few evidence-based interventions that have been shown to impact functionality over the long term in IPF specifically. So I think the, the first step is really to make the case for the importance and the need for therapies to optimize quality of life. And one way that we can do that is to better understand the trajectory of well-being in IPF patients in the real world. And so if we have a better understanding of how quality of life changes over time from the point of diagnosis and really good robust data on which factors are associated with worsening quality of life, who is at risk for worsening quality of life as the disease progresses, who does particularly well with respect to some of these measures, this information can be used along with patient goals and preferences to identify strategies uh, to optimize patient well-being. So that the first step would be to, to really characterize the problem in a real-world contemporary population with respect to longitudinal changes, and then to identify predictors of those changes that can help to inform interventions to improve quality of life in this at-risk population. So then what would you say is the overall key take-home message from your study? I would say the most important take-home message is that consistent quality of life measurement is an important part of providing patient-centered care. And objective disease severity metrics tell us a part, but not the entire story with respect to the impact of IPS on patients' daily lives. Also, it's important to recognize that the tools that we use to measure quality of life matter, and there's a need for better measurement over time so that clinicians and researchers can better understand how patients function after they're diagnosed, and then we can identify which patients may be most at risk for adverse psychological and physical impacts of this disease and provide them with the resources that they need to optimize quality of life and well-being. One thing to mention is that one of the unique features of the IPF PRO registry specifically is that we are collecting these quality of life data at six months time intervals um, for patients as long as they're participating in the registry. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to help meet some of this need for longitudinal assessment modeling trajectories of quality of life over time and evaluating which predictors, which patient characteristics at baseline, and potentially even which interventions are associated with quality of life improvements in this population. So that's an important future direction for the registry that we're excited about as the, as the data mature. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge and insight with us about your study. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share.